So last episode, we opened up with a sort of parody for James Franklin and Pat Narduzzi arguing about the differences leading up to Pitt-Penn State, whether it was different, whether the week was the same, uh, doing so for that episode. Today, after Penn State beats Pitt 33-14, to I think we have to start with that exact same concept, but on a more serious level, because the biggest news to come out of this, honestly, was the post-game quote about James Franklin comparing beating Pitt as the same as Penn State felt after it beat Akron. Yeah, it was a little bit of a gasp in the room whenever he said it. Uh, I think I th- honestly think I'd be okay if he didn't uh, uh, say beforehand about Pitt being their Super Bowl last year, um, the win over Penn State being their Super Bowl last year. But yeah, it was sort of a gasp. Went right to Dave Jones, who decided to trash his prior question and go with it right away. But as yeah, and, and 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 Franklin circled back around and said, "This is what he meant." But you, know, you got to think there's something to it. There absolutely is, and I think you you hit it on the head. You know, Andrew Kelly and Sean Fitz here in the Lions twenty four seven podcast. The sentences by themselves are relatively harmless, and they are as follows: I know last year for their win, it was like the Super Bowl. Next sentence, but for us, this was just like beating Akron. The combination is what generated the headlines. Now that doesn't, I think, excuse Franklin from any sort of this not backlash, but just response that you've seen the second headline on ESPN.com the next day or any other places we had it up on the site because he was the one who put them together. So there is something to this. Yes, absolutely. And whether he misspoke, and I and I think there was, I think it was a measured statement in some sorts, but it probably came out a little bit wrong. Um, I, I think it was, I think it was he probably wanted to take a shot at Pitt. No, I I don't actually have a doubt in my mind that he wanted to to get a message across. I just don't know that it came across correctly. Right, and if you want to go to the other side and, and do the popular, let's blame the media here, taking this out of context and show one quick snippet, you know, and say this was not really what he meant, I'd say that might be fair. But also I think being taken out of context in this instance doesn't affect what he felt or said. Because like you said, there, there's a shot at Pitt that that any competitor, any coach, particularly one that's just coming off the field, wants to take. And the quote came at the very end of his statement, as I mentioned, was un- unprompted. So I think, honestly, this was probably a case of someone just speaking too much, whether you're being interviewed, you know, you're interviewing someone else or on a podcast or on the stand of just getting yourself into a little bit of trouble. Sometimes things just... They just kind of get away because the comment wasn't needed because, as Franklin said in his follow-up to Dave Jones, listen, I've said this for years. We'd heard all week, you know, Pitt is the same to us as Akron. Penn State treats every game the same. Nonetheless, he he went on to repeat his point and compared it to Pitt's approach completely unprompted because he knows and feels Pitt week is different. I mean, how many times have we heard James say every weekend is our Super Bowl? Several times. Right. So if, if, if Pitt saying or treating last year's win as their Super Bowl, how is that different from Penn State on a given week. Again, it's just a matter of speaking too much where things start to conflict. Um, you know, again, and sometimes things get away, and that's fine, because in the days leading up, Franklin kind of declared this game was the same like any other by conflating two very different ideas. You know, the significance of a game and our preparation. He's saying we're going to treat this game the same, we're going to prepare, and they should. Consistency is so key in college football. Um, but you can acknowledge each matchup is different while preparing for them the same way and giving your 100% effort because they are indeed different opponents in different games. Of course, he declined to do so, saying this was just like beating Akron, and that's his right. But it's as clear as day to me that this was uh, uh, this win went more. It was bigger win, and, and he knew it because, like I said, he's a competitor. It's natural, just like last season. Ohio State, different, yes? Okay. Absolutely. Michigan State, different. Of course, the Big Ten Championship game was different. Pitt their zero was a bigger deal. And postseason implications aside, those are obvious. There's history here. 98 meetings between Penn State and Pitt, 
went super sour ending last year, which was compounded by the disrespect Penn State's coaches and players fell. I mean, that's what Sharif Miller told me. That's what Marcus Allen told me. Even Andrew Nelson admitted this was different. Chris McSorley said he was a little bit too amped at the start. And we saw that when he's knocking Franklin's headset clear off in their celebration after the first touchdown. I mean, this was different. And that's why Charles Huff, the special teams coordinator, is subtweeting a Pitt assistant post game. I mean, these staffs just don't like each other. And that's okay. That's part of the fun. Right. This was bigger win than Akron because it felt better. Pitt is a superior team and there's history. So uh, we don't have to deny, deny, deny. And I think in efforts to keep driving that home, I think he got himself in a little bit of trouble and revealed something that he didn't want to, which there is animosity. But th- like I said, that's part of the game. It's yeah. part of rivalry. Yeah, and I think it, it was a measured statement with him going, here is where our program is in the pecking order, where one game, no matter who it's against, especially Pitt in this, in this instance, is not going to matter, is not going to define the entire season. Pitt, their program is here where, hey, if you do beat Penn State, it doesn't matter if you lose the the other 11 games. You, you know, your season's kind of made. So I think, it, you know, from, from, a, a Franklin, from knowing Franklin, uh, it's – it would get him in the headlines. It's kind of a recruiting pitch to say, hey, this is where we're at as a program. This is where Pitt's at as a program. If you're looking at both of them, you know, this is what you need to know. So so I think it's a measured approach. Uh, did he say it as well as I think it, it meant to come across? But no, but I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah, I think so too. And honestly, though, even to say, hey, there's a difference between the two of us, I think speaks to, again, I was chatting with people, you know, other beat writers before the game. Rivalry means something because there's a give and take, right? Like I, I can't, care about another team unless at some level I respect them and there's a level of competition there's a threat that they might pose to me that was obvious last year with 42 to 39 and it's obvious now that Penn State has returned the favor 33 to 14 so I think it's a measured thing but at the same time you know saying yeah we treat them just like anybody else well the fact that you have to say that I think speaks to the importance of yeah you know what there's a little bit of a threat here and some competition and they still got two more games which you know I'm looking forward to already even though this season has been hyped up for so long and it should be but I mean rivalry is fun and it's okay and it's good to acknowledge we talked about that last week two differing approaches here I think you know one just went too far in one direction but um, you know like I said it, w- it was the biggest takeaway from a game that honestly at some point kind of had some lulls in the middle for Penn State yeah and definitely and, and getting back to that for one point or for one second uh just how that quote caught fire you know just 140 characters yeah. at a time no context no follow-up anything is, is a great representation of what we deal with you know on the internet but like it's, i said you know it, even even still the quote unto itself like you, you didn't need context you, to know what he meant exactly exactly and i think that that's the thing you, you want to circle around it and he gave himself a chance to backpedal and and i don't think he backed down from it very much no, he I mean, doubled down he kind of he, he kind of went with, with the super bowl or what or, or theme or whatnot so yeah, do I have a problem with it? I, it's nice to spit some fi- spit some fire some uh, sometimes, and you know Franklin took every opportunity to do so, especially after a win, which you know thirty three uh, 14, 19 point win probably wasn't even that close. Yeah, and especially the way it started out. I mentioned that first touchdown. I mean, I, I was just laughing, going, you know, of course this isn't any other game. I mean, Franklin, you know, celebrates, McSorley celebrates, but just the side bumps, the big jumps, and the energy they were so fantastic. Seventh largest crowd at Beaver Stadium. They go fourteen nothing after one quarter. Pitt plays keep away in defense. Defensively, you know, I, I was started to get a crack at some of the film here today, and we'll do so more tomorrow. I'll have to tell the tapes out on Sunday, Mondays uh, every week during the season. And Penn State, um, you know, really struggled with it with its base inside zone. Uh, with Pitt applying interior pressure and kind of taking away the B-gaps, which are really key whenever you're playing a spread team. Now, Pitt had been shredded by other spread offenses, primarily through the air. And in that, once the running game, you know, its base wasn't entirely taken away, but Penn State had to adjust. 
through the year, McSorley was just a little bit too amped, and we saw that through a lot of overthrows. So the combination of those two struggles simultaneously, I think, accounted for that lull I mentioned, 14-3 to at half, and then some sporadic success in the second. And to bring a counterpoint to that, Trace McSorley did not look good. He was erratic. Uh, he was all yeah. over the place. Penn State still put up 31 points as an offense and and pretty much held, held the game in the palm of their hands. I mean, from that Grant Haley pick, uh, you know, scoring one play later, that thing was never in doubt. So if you can come away from this game, and Penn State I don't think played very well at all, if you can come away from this game with a 19-point win over an in-state Power 5 team, you're in a pretty good spot. You are. And I think, you know, he even mentioned something about I just felt a little disappointed as an offense coming off the field, just 31 points. And it gives you hope in a sense of we played this poorly, still did this. But field position played such a large role. And I wrote about that post game. You know, the fact that they won the field position battle so decisively ultimately won them the war because not only was Penn State set up in good positions, but how many times did we talk about Quadri Henderson leading up to this game? I mean, Pitt's average, you know, field position starting a drive was its own 16 yard line and he netted zero yards. This is an all American on all of his punt returns. Yeah, he was held in check, I think, what, 33 total yards or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah Penn State did a phenomenal job on him. And we go back to the special teams. Uh, Tyler Davis putting him in that position where he's not going to return kicks. Blake Gillikin, Blake Gillikin, maybe their MVP yesterday. I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, that, that The punt late in the game that, that pinned Pitt down on, I think, its own two, um, which Penn State, I think, tried to knock into the end zone. Uh, Gillikin was fantastic. The coverage teams were great. Nick Scott was all over the place, and he played played well at safety. So a lot of positives. Getting back to the offense for a second, if you go back a couple of years, uh, if you look at the frustration level from from the fan base oh my gosh with the in the John Donovan years yep. and you look at the frustration level of the fan base yesterday at least on our boards at Lions 24/7 the fan base is not happy with 31 points whereas 3 years ago with John Donovan this would have been a pop 12, bottles yeah this would have been a 10 <laughs> or 12 point game for them i mean this is this is uh you know, it just shows how far that this program has come in a couple of years. And, and to be arguing about the things that, that we're arguing about, that our guys on, on the board are arguing about, yeah, Penn State, uh, a 19-point win over Pitt, if it's the low point so far this year, I think they're doing all right. Right, and there was so much more to last season after the Pitt loss, of course. You know, it, it, we're almost at a stage where you can say, okay, what's the identity of this team coming forward? I think regardless of whatever that unfolds to be, special teams is a big part of it, and I'm glad you brought up Nick Scott, because ultimately we do game balls every Monday to close out the game that just happened. And I think Nick Scott and those coverage teams have to get the game ball for me because they mentioned not only just containing any returner, those stats would have been amazing, but to do it against Quadri Henderson, a good special teams coordinator that Pitt has had, um, and, and what they did and just everything. I mean, Pitt had five drives, you know, that either went 15 plays or covered at least 59 yards. To me, those are drives you score on. They only had 14 points. Yeah. So this game ball goes to Nick Scott and that team, the special teams captain, they did an outstanding job. And they buckled down. They got, what, three turnovers, um, you know, including the one at the end with where Windsor hopped on the fumble in the right. red zone. Uh, yeah, just a good job buckling down. And, and there are holes. The the shovel pass killed them, no doubt about it. Yes. And, and I look at the defensive tackles who were fantastic a week ago, and they were, you know, pretty, pretty well held in check. They got, pushed in, they got pushed around, no doubt. And and you've got some guys like Givens who are not, you know, true defensive tackles, but still uh, Kyle. Catherine, Catherine, uh, you know, as as well as Windsor and, and Chavis, those big guys are supposed to hold that line. And and for Pitt, I think they did pretty well up front, both sides, both sides of the football. Uh, defensive line, you know, gave Penn State's offensive line some problems as well. So um, Pitt up front better than I thought they would be, but at yeah. the same time, Penn State uh, really not in doubt in this one. So who got your game ball? I'd give it uh, offensively. I think Mike Jasicki, 
um, and, and I think we're going to get into this later in the predict the presser. Uh, Jasicki was good, but Sharif Miller, uh, you know, he went from uh, leaving the game against Akron, uh, I think played one series. He was all over the place. And, and we mentioned last week in the podcast that the favorable matchup would be Penn State's defensive ends against the right tackle. And when he got matched up with Jared Jones-Smith, he was in the backfield. And, yep. and, and he was he was fantastic. Uh, he was explosive. He was all over the place. He, he pursued well on the other side of the field. Um, and it didn't you know hurt that Max Brown you know has approximately my mobility. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Miller got to the quarterback. So defensively, he's my guy, but special teams. I mean, you got to give it to Tyler Davis and Blake Gillikin. They were fantastic in the coverage teams. Charles Huff, what they've been able to do with these coverage teams in adding athleticism and speed and and getting guys down to the ball uh, has been phenomenal over the last couple of years. Penn State moving to 2-0 is not the only news. Yesterday, they began to create their 2019 class. Uh, State College cornerback Keaton Ellis is on board, uh, as expected for a long time, now made it official, and, and he wasn't the only prospect in town. Yeah, uh, first off, starting with Ellis, a matter of time, uh, came through, I mean, a State College kid. I mean, the, the very few, I think John Stupar is the last guy not to go uh, with the scholarship offer from State High, not to go to Penn State. So not surprising in the least. He wanted to see a, a few other schools, but just felt it was time. And, and Penn State's been on him hard for a while, uh, offered him over the summer at camp, ran very well. A long corner, uh, he, I think he's bigger than he looks. He's about six foot, legitimate mm-hmm. six foot. And that's what Penn State, of course, is looking for in their secondary, adding a little bit of length and speed as well. So uh, a good way to start the to start the class we have him as a high three star um he, he came to camp in july and he already had the scholarship offer but the uh, kid can fly i was he, i was impressed with the way that he got across the field and covered so much ground so um but yeah penn state had a, another big recruiting weekend this weekend uh quantel Reigns was in uh, iverson clement was in florida uh excuse me, four-star Florida commit uh, running back. But I'm not really looking at those guys right now just because Penn State's so full in the 2018 class. The guys that I'm looking to, uh, the 2019 class, DeMarco Hellams was up. I have a crystal ball in for him for Penn State. Um, Running back Jordan Houston for Virginia, Mm -hmm. another uh, Penn State crystal ball there. Uh, Brandon Smith, a linebacker from Virginia, uh, who I think might be the most important guy that there was that was there this week, and we have him in uh, top 100 on the 24/7 composite uh, rankings. A long, uh, legitimate athlete that can play defensive end, can play linebacker, um, and can play all over the place. And I think I think he's in the top 80 actually the composite rankings. Penn State has made a tremendous impression on him and his family early. Um, so I think. Uh, He's not ready to make a decision. He's got offers from everywhere. He's still picking them up. So I don't think he's ready to make a decision or, or close to that. But Penn State, I think, is as good a shot as anybody right now. Um, Avon Old Farms from Connecticut, uh, cornerback Marquise Wilson was Solid in town. School. Yeah, he said it was <laughs> you and your Connecticut's. Um, yeah, he's uh, he, he said it was a memorable experience. And, uh, you know, if you can get these guys on campus in their junior year that, that they haven't been to any big games or, or any games at all, um, you know, that's huge. You make a first impression. And, and Wilson's up there on the board at cornerback as well. Um, Joseph Wete, a defensive end from Washington, D.C., showed up. Uh, he wasn't on our radar at all um, as a visitor. He's been a, he's been to Penn State before and is obviously right. a, a, a priority target as a top 24-7 kid. Um, so to, to get him back on campus, I think, was big. So um, just continue to build these relationships with the 2019 kid. And I said on the board, the, those six guys that I just mentioned, uh, or excuse me, five guys that I just mentioned, I could all see them being in Penn State's class at the end. I, wow. I, you know, if Penn State continues to win, um, they're going to get these guys. And I think they've identified these targets 
uh, very early and, and, and they're just going to keep plugging away. And, and eventually I think it's going to pay off in this 2019 class. That typically does with that kind of investment. And it's one they can afford to make now, of course, with 2018 yeah. pretty much sold up. And it's something they did with 2018. But with, with 2018, you think a year ago, they did not have the momentum that they had, but still right. tremendous relationships with guys like Ricky Slade. Uh, of course, they had the connection with Zach Koontz. Uh, Justin Shorter was in the class a year ago at this time. And, you know, obviously that's stuck and paid off. So uh, they, they did it with the 2018 class but they've got more cards to hold with the 2019 and 2020 class. So a lot of this times when we post these visitor lists, it's, it's going to be nearly all 2019, all 2020 kids. Right. Uh, moving on, looking ahead to next weekend, Georgia State in town. First night game at Beaver Stadium, 7.30 kick. This is going to be a humongous spread, so we won't spend too much time getting into uh, what the Panthers are up to. But a couple of fun notes about them. And, um, you know, I'd, again, I mentioned this a couple of times. During June, like, you have to find content to fill your time with. And I did this by reading and writing about Akron and Georgia State. So um, I will not go on and on about all that I learned during that time. But a couple key points. This is a program new um, to the FBS. They've got a new head coach in Sean Elliott, formerly the offensive line coach at South Carolina. You know, per Elliott, they want to pride themselves on being, you know, physical, fundamental, uh, all those good things. And they've got a Utah transfer, Connor Manning, at quarterback. Now, Manning was knocked out in their only game, a 17-10 to loss to Tennessee State two weekends ago. Uh, and on the ground, they were really limited. 49 total rushing yards on 29 carries. However, they let up 238 rushing yards on 42 carries to Tennessee State. So when you're looking at this team, just as you would expect any, you know, smaller program with a lot less talent, Penn State should have an advantage up front. Um, we've asked, why isn't Saquon Barkley getting touches in the first halves of their previous two games? I think he gets a load of touches early here. It'll be a similar 35 to nothing score that we saw against Akron, and then roll out the second and third stringers from there. Yeah, I think that's the way to go, um, especially at night. Uh, I, For some reason, it was they played on the first Friday night of the season, so I tuned into the last couple of minutes against Tennessee State this is not a good football team I mean they, they've got a long way to go in terms of program building uh fired their coach last year um hired a new one uh Sean Elliott who used to be the offensive line coach at South Carolina but yeah they have like heard that before yeah yeah they uh, this is a guy that uh, Sean Elliott was actually one of the guys on our list for uh, when Matt Limegrover came in when Herb Hand left uh, mm. he's got a prior relationship with James Franklin and, and some of the guys on the staff so this was a guy that we were looking at as a p- potential position coach got the head job at Georgia State and I think that's interesting because you look at the guys on Penn State staff and Brent Pry could have had the Georgia State job Georgia Southern offered him a job a couple of years ago so um I think it's about picking and choosing when we're talking, and I'm getting way off point here, but when we're talking about jobs like Georgia State, like Georgia Southern, yeah. uh, all over the place, these, these lower-level jobs, I think it's it's key that Penn State's assistants are not hopping on these open jobs just because it's a job. Um, you know, you see it all over the place. You don't want to leave just because it's a head coaching job because some of these are, are pits, and, and, and Sean Elliott, bless him, man, he's got he's got some work ahead of him. And we even saw on a much larger scale Joe Moorhead, you know, discussion for Purdue, Minnesota. I think he was a runner-up for the Purdue job, but just flat-out didn't even have any conversations with the Gophers saying he wanted to get out of Penn State. And look at the roster, of course, they brought back. Why wouldn't you? But, you know, that's a job that uh, certainly compared to Georgia State, not a pit, but nonetheless passed up on because they're looking to maximize their opportunities and not, like you said, just taking a job because it's a job. Yeah, and Chris Ash took a job at Rutgers, and that's not working out well for <laughs> him. Eastern so. Michigan, man. Big 10 this weekend. Uh, it was really up and down. Uh, and, and, I, and I'll go back to what I said last week, because Purdue is surprising some people. I mean, I, I think that that job is in the right direction, is in, is in the right hands, that program is in the right direction. So that's impressive. 
Ohio State, not so much against Oklahoma. Oklahoma came up, put the wood to them. Uh, I think Oklahoma's a national championship caliber team, yes. no doubt. Um, but, yeah, if they don't get that passing game fixed, that's going to be something that's uh, really interesting for them moving forward. Yeah, Michigan, uh, I got to listen to an hour of this game as I sat in traffic within a mile of my apartment before turning around and, kid you not, hopping on a bike to go to work. Um, you know, they were up big initially in Cincinnati, had a turnover, the Bearcats kind of hang around and eventually put them away 36 to 14, you know, similarly for Florida Atlantic, very difficult week with all the hurricane preparation and worries going on down there. They go up to Camp Randall, only lose 31 to 14, Wisconsin top 10 team per the last, uh, eight people. Um, but really those are the contenders that I think we're going to hear about the big 10. And, and if I think Ohio state will bounce back, but really the rest is a mixed bag because the team we didn't talk about Northwestern talk about having the wood laid to you. Talk about looking, talk about looking stupid. We've been talking Northwestern up all summer, and they get out and, and you just know, but get they, shelled. They by sandbagged doing. everyone a year ago with their slow start. Thing Western Michigan went in there and beat them. And they so they're laying them. down just to catch Penn State off guard. Uh, I don't know. Place. We talked about those sleepy, um, you know, Central time zone starts, and it'll be 11 a.m. <laughs> for uh, Penn State in Week Six when they go to see the Wildcats. But um, you know. We've really gotten off topic here. So, yeah, Georgia State, not a good team. A couple players to keep an eye on, though, offensively at least. Um, Taz Bateman, running back, he had 12 carries, also led them in the receptions with six. He went for 74 yards. And Penny Hart, which is a name I brought up, again, back in June when we were talking about the Panthers. You know, two guys. Uh, not sure who's going to be at cornerback, whether Manning, again, the Utah transfer will be in there. He was 14-17 to 17 before he left. And, again, he'll be looking to get the ball either to Taz Bateman uh, or Penny Hart. That's some dynamic names on this team. I was just going to say that. Yeah, but then it balances out. We've got uh, the backup quarterback who came in there, Aaron Winchester. So I think... Sounds like a UVA transfer. Uh, yeah, for very, very well. But you'll have to uh, stay tuned to Friday's episode to find out where Aaron Winchester came from. Ah. Um, Can't wait. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, get crazy. Uh, so Georgia State, that's it for them. We'll see them on Friday. As for now, you mentioned uh, the segment a little bit earlier. Second edition to Predict the Presser. I let off last week. You limped in to close it out. So you're going to start us here today. We see James Franklin tomorrow, his weekly press conference. First, I want to know, does he comment about the reaction to his Akron-Pitt comparison? Uh, and then I need the rest of what you expect to happen on Tuesday. I think he does comment on it and in a sense of, hey, I told you to take that how how you may take it. And, and, and of course, he doubled down on his statement, uh, kind of kind of took a couple steps back and then a couple more steps forward. So I think he will say it kind of got blown out of proportion just because that's what coaches do. So I, I think it will be addressed. Um, I don't think it's going to be a wholehearted approach to addressing it. But yeah, I think he'll he'll go back to it and address it and talk about, hey, our Super Bowl is Georgia State this week. You know, this is the biggest game of the week. We want to be 1-0 and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to be a, a fairly tame press conference. Um, you have down here offensive, defense, special teams player of the week. I got Mike Desicki. I'm I'm looking at that offense. The O-line wasn't great. You know, McSorley was off. Barkley is is a fantastic player, but didn't get a ton of touches. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody from the the wideouts stick out? Nah, not really. Although I will say, Brandon Polk's catch is even more impressive to me. After going down on the field and seeing the sun that he was looking right into, yeah. oh my gosh, it was incredible. Yeah, you were super but, impressed when it happened and yeah. we're watching in the press box. It yeah. was really something. That was a great catch. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking at Jasicki. Uh, obviously, the touch-to-touchdown ratio is a good one for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to continue to build that Mackey resume. And, and Five straight games for him with a touchdown. Yeah, that's something. That's saying something for a tight end. I'm, I'm not sure what the history is with Penn State in terms of you know Kyle Brady or, or whomever uh, reaching the end zone in consecutive games, but that's impressive, uh, 
especially when you consider, you know, where he came from in, in the last year. So um, really impressed with Mike Jasicki. Sharif Miller, it was my defensive player of the game. You mentioned Nick Scott um, is a potential guy, but he could be a special teams player of the week. So, but uh, I'll go with Gillikin because uh, Gillikin's fantastic and we don't talk about him enough. We don't, but he did get mentioned in top 20 player uh, power rankings in this offseason. You know, the time where we've got to write things like that. Right. right. Um, deservedly so. Great player. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I, I'm looking at the stats from, from Saturday, and picking an offensive player of the week is going to be difficult. Saquon Barkley, though, led them in receptions uh, and, and rushing, of course. Didn't see a whole lot of opportunity, but I think he made the most of it. Gesicki, you know, four catches um, for six free yards. Yes, a couple of touchdowns. Barkley takes offensive player of the week. Defensively, I'm going to go Marcus Allen. Led the team in tackles, had the safety at the end, really provided stability back there, and against a team where you're going to need a physical safety to kind of buzz down. So I think he highlights that and just the, the play that he made that really solidified it. Special teams, I think this is going to go, kind of like last week, offensive line won it collectively. The coverage teams were just so good. Like, yeah, yeah Nick Scott is on those teams. He leads them. He's the captain. But they just did a tremendous job, um, as I wrote about, have not talked about three or four times. So I think they take special teams play of the week. And that offense, we're, we're struggling to find a player of the game. And, and I think you grade Barkley on a curve just because he's, he's Oh, for he's sure. Freaking good. But uh, you're struggling to find a player of the game, and they scored 31 points. You know what? Uh, they'll take it. So I, I, I think that you know, going into next week, they've got a lot of things to tighten up, especially on the line. I uh, get a little bit more out of their tight ends blocking as well. Um, and uh, Trace has to be on, on point. But, uh, yeah, against Georgia State, you got a chance to, to, to fill some of those holes. As and, for George, oh, oh go ahead. let me get Miles Sanders needs to fix that fumbling problem. I mean, they, he's obviously. Do you think he's going to bring that up in the presser? I think he, I think he will bring that up in the presser. Um, it's, it's something that he's talked about a little bit before. Um, but yeah, it needs fixed. I mean, you can't give the guy the ball if he's going to put it down, what, one every six carries or something like that. So that needs tightened up, uh, until then Andre Robinson, I think will get more carries, um, than Sanders, even though I think Sanders is more dynamic back. I think we'll see both of them, plenty of both of them next week, but still got to fix that if you want to play in the big games. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think Sanders will get named, uh, in tomorrow's opening statement. We'll see. I think someone will probably ask him about it. We've definitely got, you know, contingency of Pittsburgh press out there. So I'm sure it'll come up as for Georgia state. I think it'll be short and sweet, kind of like we have with Akron, you know, lot of respect for Sean Elliott. You know, there's a relationship there that I have with him. It's always a physical offensive line that they put together. They got a veteran, a quarterback who's a Utah transfer. So, you know, they had a tough go in their first game, but they're a young team. We expect them to bounce back. They've had an extra week on us, so we really got to get in our preparation. Things of that nature, I think, are definitely going to come up in the opening statement. And they got a new defense, too. You know, I mentioned they gave up a lot of rushing yards, um, but it makes it a little trickier when you don't have a whole lot of tape to go on for those players in that system, which I think is still going to be an odd front, which they were a year ago, more of a 3-4 set. Yeah, I'm curious how many Trent Miles references there are. James and uh, Trent, pretty good friends, have worked some satellite camps together as well. So he was the former coach at Georgia State. So uh, I'm I'm sure there will be a couple of allusions to him as well. Yep. Oh, and I agree. He will double down on the comment, say we'll leave it at that. Nothing I don't think he wants to dwell on. Uh, Yes, this is our Super Bowl this week, Georgia State. Georgia State. Super Bowl three, not quite like the real Super Bowl three, which was much more memorable. This has any chance of being. So, wrap it up, uh, as we always do with the mailbag segment. Three questions in this week. You can always drop those in on our boards, tweet them at us, um, and I'll get usually get to the rest of them on the boards that go unanswered for the podcast. Uh, so, first question up, what was Pitt doing to cause so many negative plays that looked a lot like last season? Well, I touched upon this earlier. You know, Pitt's a team that likes to bring interior pressure with its zone blitzes and, again, kind of control those B-gaps, which are so uh, critical, you know, to... Defending any spread offense, it's pretty much what they did. I mean, they're a defense that, that does 
what they do pretty much week to week. Sometimes there's a twist. You saw that in a different blitz uh, here or there. But for the most part, they were better up front than expected. And they got in the backfield and put Penn State behind schedule, too, which we did not see at all against Akron. But, you know, when they're behind there and either you're running, you're able to be more aggressive. And that's what they were. And, you know, it wasn't anything terribly new. They were just, you know, very efficient at it. Yeah. And do you think Penn State, you know, just got too comfortable? They scored the first play. They they, they touched the ball. And then they came down and scored another one. Uh, do you think they just got a little bit too comfortable? Or was it just a, a sense of, of getting out of rhythm, getting out of schedule? I think it was more getting out of rhythm and schedule. Because, again, we all know this game was different. They right. want to put their foot on Pitt's throat and not let up until the ref says, that's it. So... They got out of schedule a little bit. Pitt made some plays. That Penn State also missed a lot of opportunities. I mean, the first half, I remember thinking, you know, my lead for this game is going to be, this was a game not marred, but really uh, founded in its mistakes, whether it's McSorley missing open targets, you know, Pitt blowing a coverage here or there, whatever the case might have been. Um, but for the most part, they got off schedule. It was their own doing. And, and you know, but do give Pitt some credit because they were there in the backfield. Uh, again, just and like they, we saw And they worked year. their game plan. They held the ball. They, you know, they, oh, yeah. they, they forced they Penn did State what to they had to do. Yeah, they did exactly what they had to do. They just didn't have the horses to do it. Uh, any chance Ohio State's loss to Oklahoma affects the race for Micah Parsons, Jason Owe, or others that Penn State is currently battling for with the Buckeyes? The loss itself won't. Uh, I think head-to-head matchups or on-the-field play uh, very overrated in terms of the, the fan view of recruiting. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more the reaction. Um, you saw, and, and this was sent to me by like six different people, Micah Parsons tweet about putting Dwayne Haskins in. That's not going to go over well with the Ohio State staff. That's That might go over well with some Ohio State fans, others not. So so I think that might have some sort of impact on that. Where, where that one's going to go, I don't know. I've, I've pretty much given up on trying to forecast Micah Parsons. But Jason Owe, I, I, he's a very cerebral kid. He's going to watch the reactions of the coaching staff. He's going to watch the reactions of the fan. Um and come back and think about this. I don't think the loss in itself will have an impact on him because I know he really, really likes Ohio State. Um, he's more there for, to check out the the academic side of it, to check out the student life uh, mm-hmm. aspect of it, and that's what these official visits are for. So I don't think it impacts uh, with OA. I'm curious to see how the Ohio State staff responds to Parsons because that's yes. just not. I, I don't know. I, I didn't see that as a, as a as a great move on his part. But you know, they're, they're kids, and that's what the Twitter is for, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think it has a huge impact either way. Great atmosphere. I mean, that's one of my favorite stadiums in the country. Uh, and anytime you can pack a night game, especially against an opponent like Ohio or excuse me, Oklahoma, in there, you're going to have a great atmosphere. And I think that's what's going to stick with you when you're thinking about the game as your recruit. And you know what? Credit to them too i know these decisions were made years in advance but they often invite big time programs in early in the season like in oklahoma you know years ago it was usc virginia tech came in a couple of years ago and just teams that they'll see and have a home and home with so you know that's part of the attraction too not only just the atmosphere but we have big games all the time and it's not just because we're ohio state it's because of who's coming in um so again i think i agree with you you know and you obviously know better than i but just the impact of a single game uh, you know i think more the experience yeah Yeah, certainly overrated overrated. uh lastly this gets a more of a technical question why does koa farmer penn state's fastest linebacker leave the field often on third down this is a topic i don't know how long ago we touched upon but probably good for a refresher now um koa farmer plays the sam linebacker position you know, known as a strong side linebacker position, which means he's often aligned to the field in Penn State defense. He's covering a wider area of the field um, when they line in their 4-3. So when he comes off the field, that means Penn State is dipping into its nickel or dime packages wherein they'll bring a cornerback to replace him. And in order to streamline their playbook, essentially what happens is 
the corner that comes in for Farmer has his same responsibilities, just, of course, executes them as a cornerback would. So they'll call the same defenses, whether they're nickel or they're base 4-3. It could be cover one, which is man defense uh, with some different varieties, but essentially man defense and one safety deep. They could be in cover two. They could be in cover three. So whatever Koa Farmer was doing at that sand position, the corner, known as the star, will have similar responsibilities. Identical, in fact. So that's why the names are similar. That's why you'll see them come on the field, and they're just trying to get a more athletic body um, on there. But, you know, they're able to stay in their base because sometimes, say, it's second and ten or even a third and six, and they want, you know, a bigger body out there against a team like Pitt that likes to run the ball. Koa also has the, you know, versatility to defend against the pass. So he'll cover other team slot receivers. um, And that Sam position is not so much a linebacker. The old Sam, which used to be this big, hulking, strong slide linebacker taking out tight ends and defensive ends, he's a hybrid safety linebacker. And the guy who replaces him is a cornerback that is essentially just doing the same things in a lighter package. Yeah. And you need those guys to stick with the slots. And I think uh, Lamont Wade, uh, Grant Haley, you know, more suited for that. We saw it in the first half. They stayed in their base for a while. um, And, you know, Pitt still did run the ball on third downs. And I think that 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 was sort of a give and take on both sides. But yeah, um, Farmer, whether he's in there or not, the good thing is they've got athletes to take care, you know, if he's in there, if he's not. Right. So he'll split out wide outside of the box. Typically, you know, the Mike and Will linebackers, the middle and the weak side have very similar responsibilities. So they're going to take on blockers uh, much more frequently. So they'll stay on the field in most of those packages. Sometimes you'll see Penn State go three linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs. And we saw some more variety in there too, um, you know, which again, you can see the full breakdown of every snap count for every player uh, on the website, which was going to be up Sunday mornings. Uh, following these games next week it might be a little bit tricky though because i finished these up at about 2 30 last night and <laughs> with a 7 30 kick um might be pushing it closer to five this time around but they'll they'll be up there nonetheless and it, it's a good look in into how much you know every player young or old is really playing sometimes it depends on the opponent others it just shows you know so-and-so is doing really well in practice well at least you'll make it with the 7 30 kick i can't guarantee that i make it to the end of the game so you know what i can guarantee i'm not taking my bike this week because that was a mess and oh well, the, the ride was fine, but riding back was was not possible because it's too dark out to go on trails and back roads. But um, yeah, with the seven thirty kick, I will be taking my car. Everyone, please stay at home. I would like to get to the stadium on time, or just and, stagger yourselves, or do something. It took yeah, me go to the to, bar. Uh, that that traffic was was awful. The I mean, worst that, you've ever seen. It was that was the worst. The, that was the worst I've ever seen. And that I live on the west side of State College, and it took me nearly two hours to get to my spot. And going through tough trees, it was uh, it was insane. So that hopefully that uh, gets fixed. If you could do a tail of the tape on that or something to get that uh, you know some notoriety or whatnot, but yeah, that was brutal. So yeah, I live in tough trees, and like I said, it was an hour, and I said I'm out. I'm, yeah, I don't blame you one bit. Okay, well, we are out now here for this episode on Monday. Penn State beats Pitt thirty three to fourteen. The next Super Bowl coming up, Georgia State. We'll check back in with Friday here in the Lions twenty four seven podcast. Side on the outside, oh, side on